I feel like I should start this episode with baby, 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 baby. We're excited because the new the new season's coming. It's imminent. May thirtieth. I know. You do know what you do know what today is, though, right? You know what today is, right? No, what's today? The, the, the first episode of the new season of Ted Lasso. I don't watch Ted Lasso. It might be a little bit too like positive and upbeat for you. Oh yeah, well most things are, but. <laughs> Welcome back to the Carson Daily Show, the crypto culture talk show nobody asked for. I am here today with Toby Lasso. Toby is an artist, manager, creative strategist, and thought leader who studied leadership at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, serving in the British Army as both a soldier and an officer. More recently, he's taken that foundation of experience into building and leading some of the most successful Web3 teams and artist campaigns. He is the co-founder of Nocturnal, an artist management company. This is such a proper intro, and usually I put in my own little anecdotes of like, and he's my friend, or like, and I love him so much, but I think like minutes into this conversation, people are going to know that that is abundantly clear that you are my friend and that I love you so much. So, Toby, welcome to the Carson Daily Show. Hi, Carson. It's so lovely to see you. Um, And yeah, everyone's going to either realize that all we do is meme at each other and that's the way that we show our, our love for our friendship for each other um, and hopefully they can find the um, the excitement between the lines if anyone hopefully can they can keep up yeah hopefully they can keep up okay so my first question is going to be how are you really because you have had such an intense year 18 months and I just wanted to give you a second to do like a quick body scan temp check on a scale of one to 10, how are you? How hopeful, well, positive are you feeling in this day, on this moment? Well, thank you so much for starting out with such a, such a lovely question. Um, I'll be completely honest with you. I'm doing better than I have probably ever been. Um, and that has not been an easy road to get to, to where I am now, but I feel like that old adage that everyone says, which is, you know, time heals all, all wounds. Um, it comes painfully true because you tell people to fuck off as soon as they say that to you. Um, you don't really want, don't want to hear that at the time. You know, you're like, give me the answer now so I can fix this now. Um, but it, but it's, but it's honestly so true. Uh, the last 18 months, if not a little bit longer, has been, uh, you know, arguably some of the most tumultuous, up and down, uh, exciting, scary, horrifying, um, testing parts of my life. Um, but I think that once you sort of realize the things that make you happy and the people who make you happy around you you can um, learn to grow inside of those things rather than let them consume you and and you know what today on a Wednesday at this morning in rainy overcast London talking to my friend Carson I, I couldn't be happier I'm so glad to hear that and since like kind of the well it is rainy but while the clouds are kind of clearing in a new day like a new kind of horizon is opening up for you I wanted to ask you a question that I saw somewhere else but I thought was a cool question what help could you most use right now that you don't or haven't asked for it's kind of a heady oh, one what a super interesting it question <laughs> It is a heady one. I, you know, what I think, and this is going to sound really um, probably egotistical. I could really use like a personal assistant. 
Um, <laughs> does that make me a wanker? Um, no. I would say that, um, you know, and, 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 I, and I don't mean it in the way that like, I'm so busy, I could really use a personal assistant. More or less just the, the idea that the more that you start to take on and the more you start to do, the harder it becomes to like schedule your own time. Um, a huge part of like the way I've been going through making sure that I get the things done that I want to do and I'm in the right mental headspace is making sure that I'm on a good schedule. Um, and that sort of goes in, in, in waves for me. It's like, it's, it's, it's almost an absolute. It's like either I'm on absolutely no schedule or I'm on the most rigid schedule. Um, and I sort of need somewhere in between and potentially, uh, doing it myself is getting a little bit hard, but, um, it'll come in due time. I think that's probably just a, a side effect of the exciting things that I get to be a part of every single day. But yeah, if you know anyone, please hit me up. Okay, cool. Well, there's the first job posting on the Carson Daily Show. Okay, now I want to go, I've tried to like time these questions out in chronological order because I think it's really interesting. But I want to know like, what was your childhood like? Like just that's like such a big question. But like, what kind of was like the theme or like if it was a song what would it be like what is kind of like the moment that you think would capture like your childhood and what it was like was it playing outside was it being on xbox live like what does that look like yeah that's a fantastic question no one's ever asked me that and i think it's a really important question you know you can tell so much from the way that people grew up um i had a really interesting childhood i'm lucky to have two parents um and one brother a four-person family unit um and one cat may she rest in peace um and you know we we moved around an awful lot as a kid uh, i lived in dubai for a year growing up lived moved out to america when i was young moved to a couple of different states and um you know, traveled an awful lot because of what my dad did for a job he worked worked for uh for fedex as an account manager and, and so just was all over the world in general and um I was talking to someone about this recently, the idea that, you know, I never truly had like close friends when I was very young, because by the time you made those friends, you moved to a different school. Um, and so my friend became my brother, um, who was 13 months younger than me. And, and we did that thing from stepbrothers when we were about, you know, eight, eight, nine, 10 years old, where we stopped beating the shit out of each other and turned around and we were like, did we just become best friends? Because you're the person who's been here the longest. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I, I owe everything to my brother. Um, but yeah, my, my in, in individual childhood was not necessarily lonely, lonely but like um, I, I, I chose to sort of be alone quite a lot. Um, I, I used to go down to the bottom of my grandparents' garden. You know, my grandparents' garden at the time was like the only place that sort of stayed the same um, where we'd move and we'd come back and we'd like visit. And so I could go to my grandparents' garden and know that, you know, the toys that I'd hidden by the side of the pond were still going to be there. And I used to you know, go down to the pond and like hide under the small little bank and read books and play with frogs and and look at fish and do that other stuff. You know, just I just just enjoyed being by myself for as long as possible. Um, but then that wasn't because I didn't enjoy being with my family. It was just because I I wanted to to be alone. Really, I think that a lot of those feelings, you know, that that you end up growing up with and and you know that sort of not necessarily depression, but like sort of wide view of the world that can lead itself to feeling a little bit sad at times maybe manifest themselves in childhood a little way um and I think that's just who you are sometimes and you know I loved I loved growing up like that and I just read an awful lot um and I love that yeah, it was it was it was special what you're describing of like this like out view like outlook on the world is like sometimes you just have this like I had this when I was younger like this overwhelming feeling of like 
I understand the world in ways that I've not yet experienced. Like it just kind of is like, and that's like a heavy burden. Like I still feel that way sometimes where I'm like, I have too, I have a feeling that I have too many feelings. Like that's like my, so I totally can relate. I I actually don't think I couldn't, I don't think I could have explained it any better, you know? And then you read, when you you read uh, and you have this idea of just like, all you want to do is read growing up, you get, introduced to all these very adult concepts through prose very quickly um I was actually talking about someone to someone about like uh, someone recently about my depression and and the suicidal tendencies and all these other things that you know you just just live with my my feeling is that you have a if you have that part of you it's it's a circle right or it's a, it, 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 it's a part of you and it can feel overwhelming right whether it's depression PTSD trauma these things that like affect you and affect your brain and the way that you the way you go about life and the idea is not to destroy that right it's impossible in my opinion to remove it from your body you know through therapy through whatever it is that's not the aim or the goal the goal is to build your life up around it so big that that's dwarfed in comparison um and I think that, you know, when you get into that moment where that thing feels like the biggest thing in your body, you forget about the things that make up the outside of it. You know, the people that love you, the friendships you've made, um, the reasons to to wake up every morning and do those things. But uh, it never gets any it never gets any any smaller or goes away. It's just about building your life around it. So true. Such a good um, resource and like just thing to remember for people who struggle and who have those challenges. Like it it doesn't go away. But like you said, building around it just to kind of build that like stronghold of support that can hold it up. So I love that. Um, I wanted to ask what unwritten rules did you learn as a child, which seem like outdated now? Like for me, it was like my parent, it was always about money and working and like never stop. And you work until you're like 65 or whatever. And that's it. And now I'm like, oh, that's not really a real rule. Like not for me anyways. So what was that were there any unwritten rules or written rules that you had as a child that now feel outdated? Yeah, I think for me specifically, it was that you had to go to university. Um, you had to achieve some sort of higher education in order to um, be respected by the rest of the world. And it wasn't that my parents or you know my grandparents or anyone involved in, in the schooling of me growing up didn't see me as a a relatively intelligent right kid who could do what they wanted to do but the system had told them that if they needed to be successful they needed this piece of paper um, and so it wasn't necessarily the easiest thing when I only went to university for a couple of months and then left to join the army um, because in my parents eyes who who schooled me from you know 10 to 18 in America and as you'll know very well in America you're made to feel like you are truly an idiot if you don't go to university um, or you're, you're throwing your life away uh, unless you pay $40,000 a year to go to some school that it's has madness. a name that people understand and to wear a, cha- a champion jumper that you know uh, has has the name on it or something like that and it, it just it just seemed archaic and you know I have to thank my parents in, in, in totality for being so supportive of the things that I want to do um, but it didn't make that time period any easier because you're challenging archaic and outdated models that the rest of society says you have to do. Um, but totally. yeah, maybe, my... maybe I should go back to university. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> my little sister is going through this right now. She just dropped out of her second semester of her freshman year at Suffolk in Boston. And she was like, we're seven years apart. I was always kind of like, I don't really see school as being like a strong 
like suit of yours like no offense she's smart and savvy and silly like she's really quick but that is just a harder like arena for her to perform well in and she's like already like oh I'm gonna reapply to these other schools in the fall and I'm like why don't you just like think about if you actually want to be there and like why you think it's so important that you like already have to be you know making commitments to apply to a new school when like you haven't even healed from the experience that caused you to drop out of school like in the first place so anyways totally can relate and as somebody who did go to college felt that pressure graduated and still feel like maybe I should get my master's now and it's like well what am I going to do with the master's nothing it just give would give me I guess this sense of worthness like worthiness and accomplishment that I don't really know what I would apply that to but anyways um okay what are your early experiences and memories on the internet because you've talked about like being in the garden you've talked about reading like I love that and I think we're both like 90s babies right so we both remember a time in our lives when we didn't have the internet and can probably remember those early experiences so what do yours look like yeah, great question. Love that question. Um, I love our generation for so many different reasons because we got so many different like phases of um, whether it's music, internet, you know, ingestion of of knowledge, right? You know, it was growing up reading books, listening to, you know, I think I, I remembered I was on a mushroom trip, a very powerful mushroom trip the other day, and I and you know, like you can sort of like you start to access parts of your parts of your memory that. You don't necessarily know or true that you projected there. And I was like, oh, you know, I was listening to Space, Space Age Love, Love Song by A Flock of Seagulls, um, which is a jam, by the way, if anyone wants to listen to that. Um, and I, I got this sort of wave of, of, of remembering. And I was like, oh, I remember my dad's, my dad had a blue um, Sony cassette player um, in like metallic blue that he'd gotten from Japan on a trip. And I remember, I think I was like, oh, this must be, I think this was the first ever song I remember listening to because I remember listening to it on his cassette tape. I remember the front cover. It's like the most classic front cover. Um, and then you go from that to like having uh, the silver CD player, you know, like the Sony CD player that was the size of a CD and had like an orange window. Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, going into... <laughs> Do you, do you remember hit clips? Uh, yes, like, yes, yes. <laughs> I talk about those all the time. Yes, I loved hit clips. Like thirty seconds I mean, of three it? songs. You're like, yes, this is everything. I think I think I had Who Let the Dogs Out by the Baja Men. Thirty seconds of that just blasting out of the back of the car. Definitely like, had that one. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And yeah, and, and then you get into like you know the first iPod coming out, and, and the way that we are now, you know, no one ever thought you'd be able to carry the internet around on your phone. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. All I ever wanted as a kid was a touchscreen because I thought it was something out of Star Trek, you know. Um, but the, I mean, I was on the internet from a very young age. You know, whether that was AOL Messenger and you know I was I, I was lucky enough to I think I like I, I won a book prize do you remember the book fair in school oh, yeah. um and That's like that. like there, there was there was, there was sometimes like like money monetary prizes involved in it and um I got a sidekick I was one of the first kids to have a sidekick um and it was like it was it was sick because like no one text messaged each other no one had phones in school and everyone was just on AOL and Sidekick had AOL messages it was one of the first things to have like the internet involved um, and it had the, like the flip out thing and so love love the early days of the internet and I think that like that nostalgia is so prevalent now I mean look at like NFTs like so much NFT stuff based off of just like old Windows XP users um, and just that that nostalgia in general and then and I think like like my real understanding of the internet internet manifested itself in like RuneScape and World of Warcraft I lost 
my 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 teenage years to world of warcraft for maybe two or three years <laughs> i know some um, adults yeah, that lost that, their that, that's probably the idea. that lost their adult years to world of warcraft like my older sister's dad was like always playing wow i was like what is that was like my first experience where i was like what are people doing like on the internet like meanwhile me and my girlfriends are like drinking a fifth of burnett's vodka and like going on chat roulette and being like oh my it's the Jonas Brothers, <laughs> like the deep fake. But anyways, um... I'm just I'm just over I'm just over here killing killing the Lich King, you know, um, in in raiding with my my 50 year old friends. And Takes all just a kinds. side note on that, like I started I started failing my math class, my, my my middle school math class. I must have been like 13 or 14 years old. It was like first, no, it was less than that. It must have been like 10 or 11. Um, and my mum took the game away from me because it was subscription based she was like you don't own any money we're not paying for this anymore we're deleting it off your laptop and I was like I like freaked out because obviously like you, like it was just it was so embarrassing and then to make it even more embarrassing she she emailed my math teacher and was like Toby's been addicted to playing this game and I'm so sorry and he's going to do so much better in math I turned up the next day in math class and they were like addicted to this game were you you know <laughs> okay well let's let's get you back on track and it's still the most mortifying thing ever Anyway. <laughs> oh my god parents are so ruthless and savage it's like what like you're embarrassing yourself too like if i'm embarrassed like how do you not feel embarrassed too that's fine i have a similar experience i have to like i can't play sims anymore because i it just consumes my whole life like i I can't do anything else if I'm playing Sims. It's it's a ruined relationships. Okay, so now we're moving on to your time in the army because this is something I'm always curious about. You share a lot about it on Twitter, but I wanted to ask, like, how did your time in the army change you as a person and how did it impact, like, your personal and professional life? Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy good question. And, and, and the answer is, like, in every single way probably imaginable. I it, it picks off at, at the end of where our last bit stopped as well, which is I was at university. I spent one semester there. And when I was growing up, I was a skateboard kid. You know, like I I, I was the last person anyone would have ever thought would join the army. Mm -hmm. And I, I was at university. I was drinking too much, doing too many drugs, you know, just disassociating from the idea of that I wanted to be there at all. Um, and I had this VPN that was giving me BBC Three at the time, back when BBC Three was a, was a channel that, that actually existed outside of the internet. And they were showing this show called Our War, which was following infantry regiments in Afghanistan. And it, I just got like enamored by it. I was like, oh, like this seems like physical action, right? I, I've always been quite good at, at disassociating whether that's, you know, on the internet or with drugs or whatever it is. But I, I, I've always been very proud of the way that I can figure out when it's getting to a point where it becomes too much. Um, and then I need to make an active change to do something different. And this made a lot of sense to me. I was like, I could go and do something that seems like they're helping people, you know, like helping the Afghani people uh, in their a fight against um, the Taliban. Uh, I could go back to England where I haven't been for the last nine years and I feel more English than ever. And I just feel less American than ever. I could be closer to my grandparents who are getting older. I could be in an environment where they drug test me and, and make sure that I'm not taking anything, uh, you know, that I shouldn't be taking. Give me a, a ladder to climb. Um, I can get fit. I can do these other things. And I just talked myself into it. I was like, this is great. I sat down with the American army at my campus just for good measure and left within five minutes because it was the most terrifying experience I've ever seen in my yeah, entire no. life. <laughs> yeah. And, 
and you know more power and love to the americans i, w- I worked with them uh in iraq and they are really nice people but i i just i don't necessarily know how yeah um yeah. anyway i I, then, <laughs> I flew back to england and <laughs> i flew back to england and and did and and was inside basic training inside sort of four months i, I really worked hard and, and got fit and that's it gave me it gave me a place to output all of this sort of pent-up anxiety or creativity or whatever it is that I wanted to do it gave me a, a way to do it and it introduced me to people my age from areas of England that I hadn't been there you know I hadn't gone to traditional teenage schooling here uh, I had this horrible half American half English accent that just got bullied out of me until I spoke normally so I'm so thankful for that um, and uh, and yeah you know I I I, I really I joined as as an infantry soldier, like to make a point, right? You know, people talk about joining the infantry is, you know, doing the thing that people who don't have skills do. You can't be an engineer, you can't be, you know, an artillery, you can't be whatever. You know, you join the infantry because anyone can, you know, can can be on the front line. Um, I but I wanted to do it because it seemed like the most challenging. Um, and so you have a real swath of people who join that. You have the people that I've talked about, and then you have those people who are seeking growth and change and they want to be challenged and so you you get some of the finest leaders and you get some of the finest people who join the infantry and and, and make that their career um and you know I made tons of friends very quickly and and I and I learned more about myself and how to push my body and how to push my mind and you know being outside for two weeks at a time in training in the freezing Scottish cold and and you know uh, just learning to go on little sleep and little food and, and all that other stuff and I'm a, I just say it to to to, to sort of give an understanding is that all of those things have really helped the way that I, I view and, 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 and do the world. I, mean, I worked out of the seven years that I was in the army, by the time that I'd left, I'd spent almost two years sleeping on the floor outside. Um, and that was in my early 20s, you know, and, and, and that changes the way that you think about things and the way that you value certain things. Uh, and so I'll be forever thankful for it. And I'm forever thankful to the officers that gave me the opportunity to go away to Sandhurst well, after joining as a as a as a regular enlisted soldier to go away to Sanders to become an officer because it meant I left with a degree in something, you know, which is something that I didn't have before. Um That's and I, I got the, the express opportunity. Thank you. Uh, yeah, amazing. and I'm I'm very thankful to have been able to lead soldiers and and yeah, it's it was good. It, I mean I was definitely ready to leave by the time it was done because I was yeah. ready to, you know, do other things, but I would not be nowhere near where I am now if it wasn't for it. Well, it's interesting to hear the story because it sounds like at that time in your life when you enlisted, like you, you really got a lot of like, you got a lot out of that accountability. Like there was no other option like that kind of became the job and the responsibility to like be your best self. And then, you know, you mentioned like that you were drinking a lot and that you were abusing drugs and you were in these like, you were kind of like going off the rails, so to speak. And now, you know, and skateboarding and all of that. But like, these are things that you mentioned that I know about you that you also do now, maybe less off the rails part. But like, what was (laughs) (laughs) what was the transition? It seems like what I'm getting at is like one end of the scale to the other, like completely like the spectrum, you went all the way one way, all the way the other way. And you saw both of those sides. And you're like, okay, got it good. 
then what was that transition like back to civilian life and now it's like this point in your life where you know hopefully i'm assuming like you have a good balance and you're able to take the things that you like to do from like your you know wild boy days or whatever and take the things that you learned like while you were in service and apply that to kind of creating who toby is now like what has that transition been like what has achieving that balance looked like for you yeah that's exactly the route that i'm on uh and you know it was extremely hard when it first happened i was i, I couldn't have been more ready to leave the army when i did at 25 and i was so ready to join civilian life and get back into who I was um but it didn't actually make me ready you know the the feeling of being ready um I realized I had never properly cooked for myself um because all your meals are made for you whether that's in the mess or it's in the canteen and so like you know and like I've cooked born in the bag meals and you know if I was off from the army I'd be at home and my mum would be cooking for me and so um it, it, it's it's funny. It's like I I was very good at doing the laundry and the ironing, but couldn't cook. Um, and <laughs> it's just the, the the irony is palpable, right? Um, and I and I almost immediately moved to LA after that because I wanted to be close to my brother and I wanted to figure out what it was that I was doing. And it it took me two almost two years, you know, whether it's just figuring out your sleep schedule, figuring out what it is you want to do with your day now that you're not told to be somewhere at some time, um, and and figuring out how to then take the balance you've had and 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 move it into to what you're doing next i was thankful to be in la because i met one of my now closest friends uh, i met her on a on a hinge date um uh, we went on two hinge dates and we just decided to be best friends instead um and it was it's lovely um she and she introduced me to to psychedelics um and you know before i had never taken psychedelics i had uh you know only just taken the classic drugs that you could you can think of and um she she sold it to me as a learning experience you know I had some PTSD and some uh you know definitely still some depression and, and when you start moving around and moving your life up and down you know you don't realize that that depression does come back in a way because you suddenly have all this structure and now you have none of it um and although you have the will to to structure yourself that isn't the same as the actual structure itself um and she she gave me my first mushroom trip my first acid trip and then I went away and took to ayahuasca trips down in San Diego. And those experiences came six months to a year after leaving the army and, and they came almost at the most perfect time because they gave me this formative understanding of being able to put together the pieces of the things. I was fragmented in, the, in my understanding of how to go about living. Um, I had all of the tools and all of the knowledge, but I needed you know, the connecting pieces to make those things work. And um, I think a lot of people have, a, have an abject fear of psychedelics whether it's from the war on drugs whether it's from a bad trip story they had and they, someone gave them you know a, a tab at a at a at a um at a raven and, and they had the worst time ever but um these are these are really special compounds that help you view trauma um help you view your life from just a different perspective i use the example of like if your head was encased in a large plastic box and you just pick it's like a cube if you pick the box up turn it sideways and put it back down on your head all you're doing is viewing your life through a different lens you don't learn anything different because you already have the knowledge that you have um but what you do do is put those pieces together in different ways and it helps you understand that it creates new neural pathways and nets and i talk about it so often because it has been such a big part of my life and a big part of my healing um and yeah it's it, it's we we got there in the end and it's still a process now right and i i told you at the beginning of this of this recording that i feel happy i feel good uh, it's mostly in part to the fact that 
once I when I go on these trips, I reinspect the things that make me broken and reinspect the parts that I use to fix them. Uh, and that sort of cleaning um, inspection of old wounds is so important because we can't forget the things that make us who we are and the reasons why we do the things that we do. And for me specifically, I need to periodically reinspect them, understand that I can sit with them and then continue to move on. Hundred percent. It's like I mentioned earlier, like that body scan. Like this is just like the it's like a mechanism and a tool to perform that body scan on a deeper level. Like for me and my like experiences with drugs when I was younger, it was so much about like escapism and like like just enabling myself to go off the rails because so much about my life was like un was out of my control anyways that I was like, well, I might as well just be out of control. Whereas like now mm -hmm. when I have those experiences, when I like plan to I'm not like going to a fucking rave and taking like a triple stack of MDMA and like fucking melting my face off. I'm like, oh, OK, I'm at a point in my life where like I have kind of too much control and I feel like I've got like my claws in my life and in myself and I'm too rigid and I need to like do this scan and remember what it feels like to be out of control and to like, like you said, explore those new neural pathways. So I love that. I think it's amazing. Okay. Now on to, um, when did you first start gaining interest in web three in crypto? At what well, point I, was that in? I had enough money saved. It was when I moved to, to, to LA, I had enough money saved um to sort of survive out in LA for eight eight months or so so I was like I'm gonna go out there I'm gonna surf I'm just gonna find a job and I'm gonna figure it out and um you know I got a tech healthcare job through a friend of mine uh, which was all remote and great but it gave me an awful lot of time to do other things just fuck around on the internet which don't we love doing that um and I you know I I, 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 uh, I, I had been reading a ton about crypto when while I was still serving in the army and, and it was always something that was so interesting to me but don't necessarily have the brain power or, or, or the sorry the brain capacity uh, the emotional capacity to start investing in things like that when you have other soldiers to look after and everything in between so I it just kind of made sense to me to start start researching I bought a ton of books um, uh, whether it was on market sentiment or altcoins or whatever was going on and that, that initial route was was through Bitcoin ethereum through altcoins and 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 just sort of understanding a lot of these different systems and, and how they were going to start changing the world um, it's so interesting to be uh, like almost five years down that journey now and see that a lot of those altcoins aren't doing that and <laughs> they're not doing what they said they could do and maybe that's from lack of adoption or whatever but that's what that's what drew me in it was like okay like this layer two system can do this and, and that would be really interesting in, in the wider understanding of the bank, banking financial system and um i think that the more time you spend in crypto the more time you realize that we're just waiting for everyone else to catch on at the same time because everyone yep. has these lovely ideas and protocols that actually work pretty well. But you need, I, you need I still have hope in some day, of those like... some of those L2s and altcoins that I was like, this is so sick. Like, I'm like, no, I'm still going to hold on. Like, I just I'm practicing my longing. Like, I'm like, nope, because I still like you said, like, if other people just knew if other people like my mental capacity and like understanding if I can read something and be like, 
oh, like I can see what problem this solves. Like if just a couple of other people could do that with me that are like either at my capacity, my intelligence level or higher, then I'd be in a good place. So I'm not giving up yet. But um, what Web3 philosophy do you feel most compelled by and connected to like of all of them that are all of them that exist right now? I, I will say just before I answer that, that there there are very, very, very few, and I can probably count them all on one hand, people who know um, as much about cryptocurrency as you do. Like it is absolutely, I'm sure people who watch the show will know that as well, but I don't like, I, I don't know if I've, like every time you start talking about things, I think that I have a pretty good grip on stuff. And then I listen to you and I'm like, what did she say? Like, I have to like rewind it. And I'm like, how does that work? Yes, uh, so more you. power, more power to you because you're, you're one of the most intelligent people. Um, I know it in that regard. Um, Web three philosophies. It's funny because they seem to change every single day, right? You know, like how are people selling something? How are people interacting with it? Um, and it, it, it's it's going to seem like the cheesy one, surely. Um, but it's the right it, it it it's it's the rise of communities for me. You know, like I I, I posted something the other day, and I was like. It was right after England lost the rugby, and I don't care about rugby. I care about football. Um, but I was with my friends at the pub who watched the rugby, and everyone was devastated. And I was like, "Wow, this is so beautiful." Because usually I'm here devastated that England lost at football, but I don't really care that England lost at rugby, and everyone around me is upset, and I'm not. I tweeted something that was like, "Why, um, uh, why does like why does nationality matter, right? You know, like everyone, every, like like everyone uses it as a reason to hate each other." um do you think that fish that come from different parts of the ocean hate each other for coming from different parts of the ocean or that, just fish? Yeah. um and it's a it's a it's a super loaded question and like a, a really like a, a really baity thing to say um because we all know why you know people like that because human beings inherently uh you know divide off what they know divide off their land um you know want to be judged against each other want to feel better it's a societal impact of of just of being yourself right we we crave individuality um and if i can stand here and be like well i'm england and we're great at football and everything else that you do is shit um then i have all my friends behind me it's group think right you know it's like us and everyone else in england think you're shit and that makes us great because we're english and we won um and it, it's it, it really means so little in the grand scheme of things, but apparently it means everything. Um, and that leads me on to the point I'm trying to make about Web3 communities, which is that people need a reason to band together, right? You know, whether they uh, feel a little bit lost in their own life, they can't connect properly in their own life, or they just truly enjoy connecting with other people on the internet. They go, I found my tribe, right? You know, me and all these other apes, you know, we, we rule, you know, look at us out in New York, uh, hanging out with Snoop Dogg and all these other people, you know, fuck yeah, we love the apes, right? You know, look at the seals memeing online. They're like, you know, like, you know, off, off, good off, all this other stuff, you know, and like, it just gives people a reason to to band together, feel connected. And then when price go up, uh, you know, the, the, that euphoria goes up along with them because they've brought their friends along and they're winning with them and their win is, is the collective win. And so that you know, power in itself is just so beautiful. Um, it's also one of the most dangerous things ever because that group think talks, uh, you know, can very quickly move to pitchforking and bandwagoning and this other stuff because money's involved and people's feelings are involved and other stuff. So I think that it might not necessarily be the most, um, the best ethos we have, but it's the most important because it has the most power. Um, and so when you look at like founders like Wab and you look at uh, founders like Luca Nets and other people who've managed and, and, and Frank from D-Gods, stuff like that, they've managed to 
I, I want to use the word weaponized because because it, it gives a negative connotation, but they've managed to rally their communities in ways that protect them rather than ways that that that, that attack them. Um, yeah, and yeah, they like certainly do get attacked, but definitely mobilized. They're mobilized, yeah. They, and if you talk about rebellion, you want to go back to the French rebellion. You want to go back to any any uh, any coup in history. You know, all you need is a is a few good men to stand up and and rebel with you um, because. <laughs> The, the power of connection means that you can you, you got a little army with you you know and uh, uh that's definitely the most important part of web3 because it, it holds the most weight well that's it, it's interesting that that was your answer because my follow-up question was like what is the philosophy or in standard that like you don't really care about that much and your answer is my answer to like my follow-up question like I I don't actually really care about the community aspect that much because I I think that when it comes to other brands like legacy brands and other kind of affiliations in the world like you can have the like Nike and Adidas like whatever that looks like but I'm not like running up to a Nike wearer like a fellow Air Max 90 wearer and being like oh my god like arf arf we're here but like I'm just <laughs> that's like a personal preference although like I do I would say like if I met somebody that was very much like I'm not I don't wear Nike only at Adidas like I'd be like okay well I don't like that would tell me enough about them so that's why community for me doesn't matter that much because it's more about like your own personal identity and where you position yourself within that grand scheme of things and like if you connect to somebody and relate to somebody on that front then great but we can connect in other ways as well too so I'm just answering my own question because it's interesting but I do want to know like what is the philosophy that you don't like feel that compelled by or that you you could take or leave yeah um a great question and I think that like you know I I also I totally agree with you as far as you know we talk about like web 2 web 3 brands uh, um you, there has to be able to like like supreme doesn't tell you what their forecast is um you know for the things that they're going to drop and, and their roadmap and it doesn't make you sell your box logo hoodie or you know exactly. whoever these kids are who buy this sort of stuff but you know um, and, and so you shouldn't have to either. And I do agree with that concept. I'm more mean like the mobilization of people concept. Like, um, I think that what Web3 has done is brought so many people together that like they can be used in, in certain ways that, that make it extremely powerful. Um, because like you said, like no one is going up to another Air Max 90 holder and saying, oh, those are like, I love those as well or whatever. But if someone did, then you'd have a crew of Air Max 90 holders and it might be a little bit more dangerous than, than you'd expected, right? <laughs> so so the end of the spectrums are, are the same. Um, um, are the same. And, and, and like, I would agree with you as well. You know, I think I think that the, the concept that I, that I disagree with most is that these people owe you things. People that, that founded these projects owe you their life. They owe you their sanity. They owe you their emotional support. They owe you absolutely everything. I think that people should be happy that founders at all give as much as of themselves that they do. And that's such a, such a thing that people hate because if you've never founded anything or you've never been a part of building something and you don't see what goes on behind the scenes and the hours and the stress and it's other stuff, people are like, well, you just made this amount of money. Uh, and they think that money solves everything, right? You know, and, and I can tell you that like any amount of money pretty much doesn't solve what's going on inside your head. It doesn't solve how you feel. It doesn't make you happy. Um, it can definitely facilitate happiness if, if that's what you truly want, if the things that you truly want in life cost money. Um, but it doesn't facilitate true happiness um there was that quote um uh rolling around the internet um 
Heath Ledger said, I mean, it was probably like, it was like one of those meme pictures, so I don't necessarily know if he said it or not, but it sounds like <laughs> something he may have said. Um, and it was, he, he, he said, he, he said apparently something along the lines of, you know, um, people never ask if you're happy. They ask if you have a house, if you have a wife, if you have a car, if you have a good job, but no one ever truly asks if you're happy. Um, and again, a massively loaded question. And, and like people who invest in your projects and stuff like that don't care if you're happy because they care about the money that they're going to make. And I think that it's about reframing this idea that like there's so much money to be made in this this space. That there's also people to be invested in. And just because you invested a certain amount of money in something doesn't mean that that person owes you everything about them. Right. Um, and that's what I thought, you know, when it got to got to me, um, me and my suicide attempt last year. Uh, I thought that I had failed in giving enough of myself that people didn't realize. I, I thought I'd failed in giving myself to the people enough that they'd realized who I am. Um, and then to be called out for being something that I intrinsically knew that I wasn't. I tried extremely hard not to get to that point um, ever. I just it felt so fake. And, and so like the glass house had just exploded. Right. And the, everything that I thought I'd built my foundation on had, had collapsed. And so that. That I, 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 it's taken me a while to come to the understanding that like these are digital collectibles. They aren't securities. There's not dividends. You know, there's like airdrops and other stuff. It's just like it has to be thought of differently. And and unfortunately, it's it's not going to change until the culture changes. And who knows when the culture will change? But rather than trying to get everyone else to change, you just change your mindset on it. You know. Um, and I I will always give everything that I can do to the communities that I'm a part of. I'm proud of the projects I'm building. I'm proud of my company. I'm proud of the things that my artists do. Um, but I can't give everything to everyone all the time, everything everywhere all at once, you know? A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. And I think that was like my glass shatter moment has happens like in the same way of like, I felt like, oh my God, when I came into the web three space and was like talking about that philosophy, I was like, wow, you know, there's so much freedom, like artists get for the first time in your in their lives, like this chance at like freedom and obtaining this quality of life where they can create anything they want and be anything they want. And they don't have to, you know, do mixtape covers or like logo design work or whatever, like they just get to be and exist. And, and there's a, a group of people out there that are happy to be part of like funding that existence. Like I always, I think a lot about like mm. contemporary crypto art patronage, like in traditional art patronage from like the, you know, romanticism period and the Renaissance period. It's like those patrons just allowed those artists to live like a roof over their head, food in their tummies, like what that meant like. And I was so inspired by that. And I've found like in my experience in, you know, learning about my friends experiences in my partner's experience, like it's actually more debilitating. Like there is less freedom. It's at a certain point once people start to demand things like they have, you feel even more like restrained and, and stifled creatively to like share your work, share yourself. And yeah, that was a tough moment. Like that was a tough realization for me to come to also. It's a, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I actually use that example quite a lot, you know, in the, in the Renaissance period, you had the Medici family who were just one of the first proper art patron families to ever exist. You know, they had so much money from running the bank in Florence that they wanted to encourage people to make art. And, you know, we wouldn't have Botticelli. We wouldn't have Leonardo da Vinci. We wouldn't have these amazing things. You know, Leonardo da Vinci went on to not only paint 
the roof of the Sistine Chapel to a degree that is still heralded as one of the most beautiful sites in the world now today, but also started inventing things like the idea of the helicopter before it exists, you know, and that's because he didn't have to go to work, um, you know, in, in, in a normal job in order to fund his life as an artist afterwards. And it, 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 I've been talking mainly about communities around PFP projects, which can often sometimes be even the most savage ones. But, you know, we're getting into a point now where I think it's even more important that we talk about communities in art for artists. You know, these artists are people who, again, had jobs before this and now can sell their artwork. And the inclination isn't like when you're selling a one of one art piece uh, and you're Vinnie Hager or your uh, Charisma or your Terrell Jones, um, you know, people don't expect you to start dropping merch and do events and do this other stuff they understand to a certain degree because it doesn't exist completely yet they just understand to a certain degree that they're buying something that has provenance or historical value or they just like it or they want to support that artist and it means the world to them to be able to do that like I've rolled 80% if not more of all of the money that I've made into other people's artwork whether that's physical artwork on the walls whether that's um, you know NFTs loads and loads of nfts you know for my friends because i i believe in what they're doing and, and i want to be supportive and and i'd rather be remembered as a patron than someone that you know a patron who died penniless than someone who you know pre didn't preach what they what they preached themselves you know if i'm always talking about art and i'm talking about supportive artists why wouldn't you do that yourself um it's that expectation and and it's going to take enough of us coming to it probably takes you know you talk about that aha moment it takes a while to come around to realize that there's nothing you can do about what other people think about you um and so if that's happening individually to every single person that that comes into the space and it might take a year or a year and a half then you know maybe in a couple of years we might be all right we might have enough of us cobbled together that that, that change the narrative overall yeah that's the part caring less about what people think of you it's like when I want to start shit on Twitter, I'm like, I want to get something off my chest and I'm going to say it. And then I immediately mute the conversation. I'm like, I don't, it's not my business. Like I got it off my chest, whatever. Like I don't care. Like I, I think I'm very sensitive, but I have like fortunately have like thick skin when it comes to that because honestly like only i know what the real story is like when it comes to nft affirmations or 888 or 27 times or kid eight like whatever that is that people want to like come for me for whatever like only i know what the truth is behind those experiences which is a great segue into i don't really want to talk about weather report that much because i don't really care one not in a rude way but like love you love weather report proud holder was a fun experience like went to the parties have had a great time proudly own it don't care that much a lot of people do you've talked about it at length i just wanted to ask one question about it which is if you had a time machine and you could go back in time mm -hmm. and do something differently that could that may or maybe not affect the outcome of where whether weather report stands today or anything that's happened to it since its launch or mint or whatever would you take that opportunity to get in that time machine where would you go and what would you do um yeah, I would absolutely get in that. I mean, I, I also like I'm totally fine with where everything has, has laid now. So like I'm not I'm not desperate for one. Um, but, you know, I, I, I would give it a try. Um, I, and I, I wouldn't change much other than just getting contracts signed between people. You know, we're, we're in a, a, a legal battle, a federal court case that has cost 
thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars um and it's been going on for well over a year now um and it has been mentally emotionally draining um and that's another thing that we can't talk about to people you know because there's legal proceedings going on you know whether uh, and it, it is absolutely bizarre to see your name on a on a court document and it's bizarre to sit in rooms with lawyers and have them talk about outcomes and scenarios and other stuff and it's not that I haven't learned immensely from that process and that I'm not now, you know, factoring in that learning into everything that I do. Um, but I think it would have saved me quite a bit of bit of heartache. But if you were really asking me where I'd go in a time machine, I would go back to 1966 um, and I would just live from that time period onwards um, so that I could dance on Soul Train and see David Bowie live and watch Joy Division and hang out in the 80s and listen to New Order and see The Cure and... Uh, never end up in this part of history hopefully die at this part of history (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say if that were the case you'd be on this podcast being like what are these cryptos you're talking about is that that scam thing I'd be a right right boomer I'd be talking at NFT NYC I'd be such a boomer (laughs) can you that's like a funny thought to think of like okay you end up in the same place where you are right now like physically but you lived in a different time where you like i just imagine you'd be like as an old man like how did i get here like that's a um that's a movie pitch a netflix movie starring adam sandler for sure i i can believe it okay now let's talk about i'm I'm gonna go on chat gbt after this yes I love Um, that chat GPT is my personal assistant by the way when it comes to this podcast so um the best at writing questions oh yeah (laughs) um okay let's talk about nocturnal your artist management company what's the mission what's the vision what's the vibe yeah um nocturnal is is a amalgamation of all the work that I've been doing inside management since I started in in the space you know we talked about weather report we talked about a couple other things and uh, you know, I was a manager before I was before I was anything else. You know, I helped Vinny and I created the letters collection together and I asked him if I could manage him. And, and he very, fact, very luckily said yes. Um, and, you know, I had no traditional management experience, but obviously managing soldiers in the army. And so I had a leadership leadership understanding and understanding of how I wanted to go about things. But, um, you know, I, I got given that opportunity and, and I loved it. You know, it's, it's actually what I want to do with with the rest of my life um, and it's so nice to know that you know I, I love doing that job I feel like I'm very good at that job um, and I, I get it, I drive a lot of value out of it and so as as my time in the space went on I started uh, picking up more artists and in February of last year I met up with a friend of mine uh, Matt Morgan who I've known for 12 years or so since school time and he had spent the last 12 years or last 10 years in traditional management whether that was working as head of digital for Warner, or it was um, most recently at, um, at a, a, a talent agency over here, um, YMU, looking after Amelia de Mondenberg and, and Reggie Yates and all these other people, you know, these, this English talent, you know, he, he really brings that understanding of what traditional management looks like. And, and I can bring that understanding of what this like Nouveau Web3 management looks like. It, it works really well because, you know, he taps into this. It's not, it's not a Web3 management company. It's a, it's a management company with a Web3 arm. And so being able to give the opportunity to these already successful artists in the traditional world uh, the opportunity to to release their work as nfts on a platform that we can provide for them you know through our mutual connections and, and networks and that other stuff has been it's been a real real big challenge but something that that i relish in doing because it's not really much what other people are doing just yet and if we can start laying the found foundations of of how we can create that on ramp um then I'll, I'll be truly happy 
the vision is is to is to build this out for the rest of my life until um i can retire on and sell all my shares on a board seat and uh and go and start raising goats on a farm um, but i'm sure that we're about 50 years away from that um uh, yeah it's 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 the idea of building a collective right i love always 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 obsessed with these ideas of um collectives in general you know I had this sort of loose collective in new york from 1950s onwards with warhol and basquiat and coons and bowie and all these other people that fought each other fucked each other made art with each other hated each other killed each other and this idea that like this just is that like like this that amount of creative people around each other something interesting comes from it um and obviously i was a little bit more more tempered um but the, the this idea of having people from different verticals or different artistic verticals that all come together under the same roof to do whatever they want together or do nothing together but pool resources and, and and share share vision means that our vision consistently changes as to what we want to do but if uh, i always had this idea that if i had enough interesting people then interesting things would happen and it's been true so far i love that that's true community okay so what are the a question about like managing what are the most important qualities that an artist manager needs to have to be successful and how do you cultivate those qualities within yourself and with your partners mm. and all of that we we have two two rules at nocturnal there are founding and foundational rules and the first one is that we have to be good friends with the people that we manage mm. and we have to truly like the art that they make and those rules are like counterintuitive to any traditional management company because if you can make money and you can sell your art, then they don't care. Um, and a lot of managers aren't your friend, they're just the person who works with you. And so we wanted to create something different because my idea of a manager is someone who is your immediate right-hand man. You know, it, it comes from my founding principles of how Vinny and I started working together. And, and we started working together because we became friends initially, and then we became best friends over a certain period of time and that's helped us tremendously because Vinny can now turn to me like he always has done and say I've made this art piece and I've made this art piece which one looks better um I want to do this this and this um but I don't want to compromise this and this and this what do you think and he listens to exactly what I have to say will always make his own decision but weighs my decision extremely highly um and he knows deep down that I'm not in it for the money he knows that i'm not in it for you know uh for the immediate monetary gain of whatever we might do and that i have given him enough trust i've shown him enough trust and he's given me enough trust back that he realizes that i'm in it for the long haul and that what i care about is putting his art in front of as many people and making him the artist that he truly wants to be and that connection it can't be understated it also means that we go in and out of our lives together you know i go through a rough time you know, he's the one that I talk to and I, I become less of a manager maybe at, at certain points because I need my friend around and and and, and vice versa. Um, but it, it, it makes us stronger across the board because it means that I can inherently trust him and he can inherently trust me. And the way that we go about things is is true and honest and straight. Right. Um, and so that takes a lot out of me emotionally. And that's why I don't manage 20 people. You know, I manage a few of them um, because I want to be able to give that to every single person that I do manage. And if we need to manage more people as nocturnal, we'll have to scale and hire new managers who can do that for them through their own ethos. Um, but I, I I think because I don't come from a traditional management background, my ideas are different in, in how I go about it. Um, so you need to be a therapist, you need to be a friend, um, you need to be hard and firm, you know, and, and you need to be there to make sure that the, you're sat in their blind spot looking for things that they couldn't possibly understand because artists need time to to create. They don't need time to 
um, you know, do these. Like, I think one of the one of the first issues that I ever ran into was, um, could you help me negotiate with this gallery? Um, you know, one of my artists said, can you help me negotiate with this gallery? Uh, it really makes me feel weird having to ask for money from these people when I'm already asking them to put my art up on the walls. And that's just such a basic example of why you need someone, even if it's a fake assistant, right? You know, like you create Stacy, the fake assistant at your fake gallery to start talking to galleries for you. You know, like you need to, you need a layer of removal so that you can work on what's going on up here. And you know that the people behind you, even if it is Stacy, you've got your back. I'm so glad you brought that up. And like, I love that. Um, first of all, side note, Megan and I for Mint Candy, my our Web3 agency, we had Brad. It was like Brad at, at mintcandy.com and we would just CC Brad on things. So yes. But I love that one of your like founding principles is the friendship piece because I was going to ask about that. Obviously, I know that you know, you have close friendships with you're very close with Vinny, like you guys are a package deal, as I know, just from like the times that we've hung out and what I know about you. And, you know, for me, like as the self assigned and appointed like manager of Kid 8, who is also like my lover and best friend, as you know, like I when I first kind of was like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to help you manage your brand, manage evil, manage all of that. It would be like, I'm going after and trying to get these deals and put him in places and all of this. And I finally realized like, okay, to be the best partner and manager, sometimes it means like, you know, I'm the one that is like doing the dishes and doing the cooking and the cleaning while he's like at his computer for 16 hours a day. Like you have to, whereas I think like in the traditional management sense, if I was somebody who did not have that relationship with him, I wouldn't be thinking about what like the needs are below, like what they are above, like, okay, having deals, like the best way to foster them creatively and to support them in their endeavors is to just like give them the space to create and then help them on, you know, achieving their goals mm -hmm. and getting those eyes when they're ready for it. So I was going to ask like how I know what my own challenges are like in that and what we've overcome in that, which is just that like besides the fact that I'm like Tinkerbell and I'll die without attention, like I have to deal with like I might not have like my binge watching partner to like sit and watch Vanderpump Rules with me and care for a couple of weeks while he's working on stuff. Like how do you kind of, you know, manage the boundaries or like the boundarylessness of you know, being very close with and being that therapist and being best friends with the people who who you manage, like when how do you know when it is right to turn that on and off and to kind of go into action or be a bit more passive when you need to be as a manager and as a friend? Yeah, I think um, you, you nailed it there, right, um, with you talking about with Kid A and it, it's a partnership, right, rather than it's like manager uh, manage uh, manager artist relationship it's a partnership between the two of you um, and it, it needs nurturing and like any relationship would do like a like a girlfriend would do um, or, or a boyfriend or whatever it is and so I think that you know Vinny and I and and the artists that I, I do do look after are lucky enough to have mutual um, you know interests and excitement you know like there'll be times where it gets a little bit too much or whatever and, and we'll go right let's go skate you know, and let's just forget about this, put our phones down and let's go do something else. And, and just finding the gaps and the times to to reconnect on a friendship level so that when you turn around and be like, you're being a fucking idiot and you need to do this, 
Um, it's not going to be like, well, you know, like, don't say that, you know, like, I'm just trying my hardest because you, they know you're, you're trying your hardest because you're both trying your hardest because it's a partnership because you're both doing it together and there's a mutual respect. Um, and it takes, takes a while to build up that and it, and it takes being a little bit humble about the things that you have to do in the interim, whether it's doing the dishes or whether it's, you know, whatever you might be doing, you know, and being like, OK, well, I know that this is helping the overall cause. So why should I have to worry about what we're doing? Because I can't create what he's scribbling over there um, and I'm here to support what he's doing over there because I know I'm intelligent enough to know the power of where it could be. And it takes a village. So um, I think it's about looking at every single part of, of the situation and understanding where you can fit in and give help, especially if you're not the person who's creating the creative, you're inspiring the creative, an equally important job, um, absolutely. Um, and one that, that one can't exist without the other, but it's just understanding where you can best input and when it's time to pull them away from what they're doing and when it's time to, you know, hear the inflection in their voice and be like, is everything actually okay? You know, like, are you doing okay? You know, and like, and just not understanding that it's all about the end goal. The end goal is going to get there as long as you work work hard enough and look after each other. You need to look after each other at the end of end. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's what it comes down to, and you have to, I think, be able to kind of put both people's needs into perspective. Like, it's hard, especially when you're dealing with like a very creative person and like a highly sensitive person. It's like you almost have to anticipate what their needs are going to be and like kind of plot that against like what are my own needs and where is the scale here and how can we move forward so okay moving on from that i wanted to ask you as your friend but also like as a follower of yours among you know nearly thirty-five thousand, you are so public like you're so transparent you talk you've talked about you know, your suicide attempt, you've talked about mental health, you've talked about your business, you've talked about your friendships, you know, your service in the army, like, I feel like there is so much that we know about you. And even, you know, more so like at another time months ago, we knew a lot about your personal relationship with your romantic partner and relationship and with sensitivity to you and to another the other part of that party and that relationship. I did kind of want to call you out to say that you haven't, that is the thing that you now are not so public about. And I wanted to kind of invite you to have this safe space and opportunity to like, you know, in real time, write that thread with me on the Carson Daly show, you know, give that kind of that journal entry, that Twitter update of the reflection of, you know, having a, a relationship that people knew about that was publicized and have that end in a way, you know, that is legal and, and, um, you know, pretty serious. So yeah, invitation is out there. Yeah. Um, you know, the things that you mentioned that I talk about, they're inherently about me, right. And me alone. Um, and I'm very confident and okay with sharing things that inherently pertain to me um, because I, the buck stops at me right you know and um, I, I've i been very private about my private life as of late because I want to remain sensitive and, and understanding um, to to the other party involved um, but you know like I, 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 I'm, if there's anyone I want to talk to about it it'll, it'll, it'll be you because I understand that you know you know we have a, a long-standing friendship and you've known both of us and um, you know it love is this really strange strange force right you know um i 
I never felt anything like I'd ever felt before in my life the day that I fell in love with um my you know my then future wife um it like it over, overtook me it was overcoming um it's why we got married so quickly um it's why we we uprooted both of our lives to live together and be together um and I've had a lot of time to you know reflect on on how it made me feel and 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 the things that I did and the things that you know she did and that other stuff and you know I'm sat at a point now where um, I say I say this to my friends, you know, I, as much as it was so painful and, uh, you know, the hardest, one of the hardest things I, I've had to go through, it's something that I wouldn't give back. You know, I, I learned so much about myself in, 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 in that I learned so much about how, how I give affection and how I take it away and, and um, you know, how I can be better to the people that I want to love in the future. Um, not to say that you know, I, I, I blame myself. You know, I think that it's it's just part of life. You know, I grew up reading all these romance novels and, you know, all of these different these different books, you know, Faulkner and Joyce and Gombrich and, you know, like these these people they talk in depth about whether it's history, the world, love, life, and I found something that I read out of a book and and I was like, it does exist, you know, it really does. Um but love itself is is something that it, it, I don't want to say that it's not always enough um because for some people some people that it is and some people that it isn't but you know someone for a shorter amount of time and, and you throw your lives together you know in, in in the name of love there are inevitable sticking points that come up you know and I don't want anyone listening if anyone is actually curious to think that I wasn't as serious as I was when the day that I asked her to marry me because I absolutely was you know it was the happiest day of my life and and you know I I, I compartmentalize and seal off in my mind my wedding is one of the happiest days of my life because in that day in that moment I couldn't have been happier um, but I think that people people grow grow differently people come from different backgrounds they have different experiences they have different unique idiosyncrasies about how they work and how they live and um one of the hardest things to do about that is to understand that in order for you to be better and in order for her to be better, um, it will be better to be apart from each other. And that can be the most painful thing to do. It was the most painful thing for me to do. And then to go through the subsequent uh, fallout of that and uh, it was even more painful and, and it made me spiteful and resentful. And I didn't want to talk about that on Twitter. You know, I didn't want to talk about these feelings. I talked about these feelings so publicly initially and they were immediate right this love was immediate it spiked it hit me and all I wanted to do was tell everyone about it and so in the wake of you know impending disaster and, and sadness and, and life change I thought that this was the last thing I wanted to talk about publicly to anyone because if I had if, if something so poignant and 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 decisive had had grown out of something so quick then maybe this would pass just as quickly as well. And uh, maybe I didn't know myself as well as I thought. And I didn't want to hurt anyone else in the process. The last thing I want to do is hurt anyone else in the process. Um, you know, there's a line in in this Counting Crows song um, called Chelsea Nights where he says, the things I do to people I love shouldn't be allowed. Um, and I, I listened to that song so much when I when when we broke up and it it hit me initially as being like, yeah, like the things that I that I've done to the people that I truly love, 
um, have have caused them so much pain, you know, um, and, you know, whether that was just breaking up in general, you know, and, and then the, the subsequent problems of, you know, people thinking that you've done certain things or being told that you've done certain things or the reason why something broke up was because that you were unfaithful or did this other stuff, you know, people love to always love to talk and make up whatever they want to make up you know but it's not for other people right it's for you um and as long as we're learning and we're growing we're doing better we can do a little bit better but you know i have i've have nothing but love and respect for um my ex-partner um and i can see through the small window of friends that we still share with each other that she is happy and that she has you know found love again and that she's enjoying herself and and that was the reason, was part of the reason why I knew that we were better apart, you know, and, and that makes me so happy, you know, um, because that means that we were right in in in, in not being together. Um, but I don't want to think, I'll never, ever regret it. I don't want to think of it as, as something that if I could go back with a time machine, I would change because I wouldn't. Um, because now I know so much more about myself and, and, and how I want to be a better version of myself in the future. Anyway, yeah, that's what I have well... to say about it. <laughs> Thank you for opening up and for being so candid. I, you know, it brings up a lot like in me as well, because like, you know, I, I think that when we're young, like as we're growing up, we are kind of building this, like, we are building a tapestry of like who we are, right? Like we're threading these, we're, we're sewing these threads through and we're making these designs and we're thinking like, you know, we're in our 20s and we're stepping back and we're like, yeah, this is me. Like I, I served in the army and I'm from England and I lived in America and I've got all these things. And like, here's my like, here's my tapestry. Here's my wall, my gallery wall of like who Toby is. And like for me, who Carson is. And like in my life, my experience with that also like really uh, desiring like true love like this true like nuclear kind of hegemonic like you know get meet somebody we're best friends we get married like all of that what that looks like and I got engaged really young and was with somebody that you know fit into what that gallery wall looked like and it took for me like you know, a series of events of like me realizing that this wall that I thought was like concrete where all these, you know, images of who I was, where it stood to just realize that it was like basically made out of cardboard. <laughs> and like, you know, once it, yeah. you know, so much weight was put on it that I, and it fell down. And I realized like, I am not anywhere near like my most authentic self like i that's not to say i'm not a version of myself that feels you know okay and feels like oh yeah this is who i relate to like i relate to this version of myself but i finally you know it it was unfortunate that in my experience i'm not suggesting this is yours but in my experience like this person in this relationship was actually like a a human manifestation of like my own inauthenticity and like everything about what that that relationship was and how it was built was like you know i could see all the through lines in realizing that like I, I i brought this person along for this ride and like you know had kind of made a commitment to be like oh yeah we're gonna get married and spend the rest of our lives together then realizing well that's not gonna be possible because this is not who i'm gonna be for the rest i'm like getting emotional thinking about it but because no no like, no you're you're 
<laughs> it's you don't want to like people i think you know it gets really difficult for people to understand that like there's nothing worse than like breaking somebody's heart like there's just nothing worst, fucking worse worst thing than in that the entire world. i'm like <laughs> tearing up but also especially like, especially, you... especially someone that especially someone that you care about right you know like i think that there's this 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 feeling that like just because you don't want to be together you don't care about them or, you, or that all the experiences that you've had together or the love that you've shared isn't isn't real um and especially in the wake of a wake, wake of tragedy like that you know like people people can feel like like they are less of the person that they thought they were because if you don't want to be with them then you know like then then you never love them like you thought they did in the first place 100%. and it's it's a manifestation of growing right it's a manifestation of growing right you know like you we change so much in our 20s we change so much throughout life you know if you're constantly growing and, and you're trying and you're trying to learn and, and be a better person and um you're an inherently emotional person it, it, you feel selfish for hurting other people but it shouldn't be a reason that you uh, end up retreating into attacking yourself because you don't know how to deal with it you know that 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 thing is so hard to do um but as soon as as soon as you've you've said what you've needed to say and you know the reasons why you know like the reasons for why like i, I don't think i think that we, we we shouldn't have been together was because we could do more for ourselves apart from each other it wasn't a lack of love or a lack of care it was that this understanding that I I I didn't know myself as well as I thought I'd done and I like you had said it had projected you know my my perfect fantasy onto someone and she's she's wonderful you know um and then the, the realities of of the fact that you're still growing and changing and needing different things that that's not their fault for not having um it, it's it's painful and you know we'll all hurt people throughout our lives and uh, you can't go you, you know you know it's like no one gets out alive right 100%. you know like it's, or it's, unscathed it's, it's, um, <laughs> well I think that yeah. that's where you know and then for me like after I kind of committed that act or like you said like put that out out there and said it out loud and it just felt like such a horrible like I just, even though I was in the same boat of being like, I know that, you know, we can do more separately, like than we ever will together. And for me, like I was, I put so much responsibility on myself and like felt so, even though I was like genuinely happier and felt free, like I was so, I was so ashamed and I was so, you know, I was living with this like emotional burden and my biggest fear was like, I never want to put anybody through that ever again. And I also was like, okay, as a person who believes in like the karmic <laughs> repayments of the universe, I was like, I never want to put, like, I never want to put myself in a position again where like, I could be the one that's like having my heart broken. And I think I did so much like then I, you know, I met kid eight and I was like, you know, instantly I was like, I don't even know who this person is, but I'm like in love with them and I have to, you know, somehow get it be a part of their orbit or whatever. And that started as a collector and as a community member, as a fan, as a friend, and then, you know, something more when those like feelings were, you know, when they were reciprocal and, to me, I pushed so hard against that because I was like, I felt like I had this, 
you know, time to pay the piper thing waiting on the other side. And like the greatest thing that I ever did for myself in my life was like, let go of this like idea that like, I don't deserve to find this love again. I don't deserve to, you know, to say that I want to spend the rest of my life with somebody again. And I definitely like do not need to put myself in a position where, you know, this could be the person that breaks my heart, like no matter how much it might be worth it. And I just wanted, so I wanted to ask you like, you know, I, I know what I did right and wrong in like my healing journey to be able to get to where I am right now, which is like the greatest place on earth, like in the greatest relationship, like, you know, we, not to say that it doesn't come without its challenges, but like, you know, I'm, I would never change it and I will never not be a part of it. But like, what are you doing for yourself? What resources have you tapped into? Like, you know, how are you coming to terms with like, what, you know, your future outlook or like even what is your current outlook on marriage and love and relationship right now? And, mm. you know, how are you mending? Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's understanding myself better, right? You know, I think I, I couldn't agree more with what you say. It's terrifying to think about putting yourself not just on the, on the guillotine to have your heart broken but to do it to someone else and that's what the trust aspect comes in right you know it's like I know I do know deep down that I will love again and I do know that deep down when I'm ready it, it will it'll present itself and that hopefully I have enough constitution to to rise to that challenge and 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 give that trust and 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 trust in myself but to get to that point I am working on myself you know like um getting my own apartment, putting my own art up on the walls, um, talking to my friends openly about how I'm feeling and doing a lot of reading. And I I went to like a week after we, we split. Um, it took it took me a week to, you know, make sure that I just wanted I wanted to make sure that she was in the right hands and that, you know, like I hadn't just cast someone off that I cared very deeply about, you know, into the the pits of despair. And 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 once I knew that, you know, she was safe and and with the people that that love her, um, it took about a, it. It was about a week later that I really started to feel it myself. Um, and I, I went to this like detox, uh, like like rehab place in Switzerland for a week just by myself. And it was the first time I've been truly alone, like by myself for a really long time um, and I I realized there that if I was gonna be any use to anyone in my friendships in my business relationships in my hopefully future love relationships that I needed to figure out what it was that made me tick um, and figure out what it was that I needed so that I was in the best position to accurately explain that to the next person that came along you know if that's years down the line that's totally fine too but I realized that potentially I was an amalgamation of of too many things I wanted to be rather than being authentically myself um and living a life that had become very new to me you know the nft space changing my job doing this sort of stuff and and it was so important that this this last eight months nine months however long it's been you know it's just been a journey of making sure I understand me better um and it's going to take it's it's a lifelong journey but uh, before I give myself to someone else and before I ask someone else to give themselves to me, I want them to know exactly what it is that 
they are getting um, from all my idiosyncrasies to my spheres and my desires and that other stuff, you know, because if I'm more of a complete person, then we can have more of a complete relationship and, and that'll 100%. save me and it'll save them. A hundred percent. And like it, the days become weeks and the weeks become months and months become years. And while you're on that journey to let of like self-discovery and then, you know, you feel like you're at a good place and you'll meet somebody and then like that person will bring out a whole other like world of and and like the whole new layers of your identity. And then you'll just decide if that's, you know, this is the person that can handle all the things that are kind of then eventually that tapestry that I was mentioning before it like kind of unravels and you're like, yes, this is good. Like now we get to like sew this together. Like that's I think where wait a minute this isn't made of cardboard this is made of actual <laughs> exactly. material I'm like oh my god look now we're actually like we can put holes in the wall here and stress test it and yeah it's it is a good feeling but again like I couldn't even I, just me talking about my own experience with it it's like it doesn't it it these things can coexist like this sadness and like you know not regret but like just putting yourself back in that and then also, you know, being grateful for that sadness because without feeling it, then it wouldn't be possible to know just like how amazing and like majestic the the world that you live in now is. So I appreciate you opening up. Okay, now on to the last round of questions. Sadly, I know we could just keep going forever, but we're going to get to the last round and it's going to be a speed round. Are you ready? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? It's going to be a good one. I think you can handle it. Sloppy steaks or red wine and popcorn? Sloppy steaks. Okay. Bald boys, yes or no? And popcorn. And popcorn. Bald boys, I yes or no? Bald. I hate bald boys. I can't stand bald <laughs> boys, in fact, actually. Okay. Are we even going to get anything now? Um, you know, well, if Santa brought it early, um, <laughs> then I would hope that we would still get a Christmas present. <laughs> you sure about that's why? Are you sure about that's why? You sure about that's not why? <laughs> you sure, sure about that's why? <laughs> Literally the number, <laughs> the number one question asked in my house. Also, is Johnny Carson allowed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what's the correct temperature for gazpacho soup? Um, you know, if I eat gazpacho soup, <laughs> right, um, and and I bring it up to my lip and it's room temp, it's going to feel like it's burning, okay? Yeah, it needs I to agree. be like ice cold. Okay? I agree. <laughs> it has to be ice cold. What red condiment can be put on a hamburger? Um... I don't know if I know this one. Just ketchup. Wait, what? Okay, bring out Chunky then. If you're not going to get it, bring out Chunky the Clown. <laughs> okay, what we happens gotta if out, you... we got to figure out what Chunky does. Can we just I know, out we what do. <laughs> what happens if you bring me a bad deal? Um, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> People who are not, who can't see this on camera, Toby Lasso's like, fainted. We just went from like, 
we just went from from like the most like touching emotional conversation right to the other end of the spectrum i'm so here for it let's go <laughs> that's the carson daily show okay that wraps up my speed round that wraps up this interview is a perfect place to end it wow 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 <laughs> thank you so much you've been the best guest i'm so glad we did this you're awesome love your stories love how open you are transparent just you know taking everybody along for the ride to kind of discover who toby is and you know the changes and all of that and we're just here for it so thank you so much Thank you, Carson. Uh, thank you not only for your long-term friendship, but for um, everything that you do in this space. You know, I mentioned before how intelligent you are, and and you know, you you really do lead the pack as far as uh, people that I, I love and respect in this space. So please keep being you, and thank you for your time, and thank you for giving the opportunity to to open up in a way that I potentially haven't done before. I hope that um, I hope that it, it, it came across in the way that I wanted to do. And, and I apologize if I've, I've hurt anyone in the meantime. But then, um, you know, I just I'm just thankful, thankful every single day. And, and, and over the last over the last year and a half, I, I've become even more thankful for my friends and the people who have been willing to take the time to talk to me and, and to understand what it is that, that that we all go through, because we're still in the Ask Jeeves phase of this whole thing. So uh, I can't wait till we start moving to like Yahoo Mail or something like that because that's oh, going to be I a can't huge wait. step up. Thank you so much. Thank you for saying that. And yeah, I'll link all your socials in the episode description. And I too hope that everybody got what they needed out of this episode. I think it was a good one. You were awesome. And yeah, if we hurt anybody's feelings, well, welcome to my show. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> This has been another devastatingly iconic episode of The Carson Daly Show. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Carson Daly and follow the show's dedicated Instagram at Carson Daly Show. And follow this podcast channel so you get new episode notifications. Please rate me five stars also so I can brag to my producers. And remember, you can't go a week in crypto without me. The Carson Daly Show is a Decentral Media production written by me and my better comedic half, James Carr. Music by Woody. See you next Tuesday. Bye.